welcome everyone to the latest episode of Talk Script. I think this is episode nine or something. I think that what we should do is every few months, we'll just start the count over and slightly change how we label the show. Because we have like 30 episodes or something, but we've changed the name, we changed seasons. So it's like episode nine, but it's really episode like 30 something. So I think we're just going to continue that. So it's episode nine, season six, right? So It is. Or series, you, series six for, for you guys. Do you think we could do it in Die Hard films? That'd be better. We can. We can. <laughs> They'll all be Christmas episodes, just like Die Hard's a Christmas movie. So those two guys you just heard are Matt and Ant. And also with me is Nick Nisi, which I normally have a much more graceful intro to all of these. So before I give any bios, just so you can get their voices, Nick, go ahead and say hello again because I talked over you. Hello, I'm Nick. All right. Now this is going to be tricky if you're an American, but there are actually two British people on the podcast and they sound exactly the same. Right, guys? Sound the same? So first, I'll introduce Matt. Say hello, Matt. Hello. There you go. So that's Matt Gad. And then go ahead and say hello, Aunt. Hey. See? You can't even tell them apart. They're like twins. Just like twins. You guys probably get that all the time in real life, too. So Matt Gad is a Lee Mack lookalike, is what his bio says which nobody knows who that is. So I Googled it, and you should too, because that's a pretty accurate thing. But then I thought, why are we Googling who he looks like? Why don't you just Google Matt Gad and then see what he actually looks like? So I'm not sure. Maybe that would be a better way of doing it. So Matt has been working on cutting-edge web apps since using Flash in the early 2000s, which that's where I got my start too. Flash was very... Well, that was a thing. He was also a contributor and user of the original Dojo Toolkit, and now he's a key technical figure on the next generation Dojo framework. I don't know. It's not going to be something that when you guys use for real, they just get written down and no, you don't say it. Yeah, I don't think I read this out. I hope I don't read this out. Yeah, don't do that. That was bad. I really hope you you should. I hope you do at the beginning at the beginning of the workshop. To be fair, Matt, that'd be okay. Shall I bring my Shall I bring my flash books as well to show my name in the book? <laughs> and a cardboard cutout in, in the books. I'm Which in the books. Book. Yes. I'm in the books. I'm gonna do. A sh- I'll do a show and tell. I can do a book signing. The books are a bit <laughs> old now, but <laughs> I probably can, have can, some of them. Can you still actually buy the books? No, you can't. You definitely uh, can't buy the books. I think the company went like bust about ten years ago. So. It would definitely be hard, but I have the books, obviously. So what, what book is this? I worked on. I did. I did three books. I did. Well, I was technical reviewer on Foundation PHP for Flash, which was about you know Flash and PHP server side stuff. The clue is in the title. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, thank you for then, no, that early two thousands for American audience. Yeah, and then and then I did advanced PHP for Flash, which was basically the same but advanced. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But then I did actually do, I wrote the book specification and recruited the authors for Flash and Director multi-user websites, which was kind of like a big compilation book of like famous Flash game authors walking through kind of like multiplayer games, which is quite cool. Like back in, I think that was like 2002. So it's like 16 years ago. Man, I forgot about Director. That was... 
Wow. It was way back when. Like, so that I, book was basically a clickbait top 10 article, <laughs> but in book four back yeah. then. Well, that was, I think that might be before clickbait. I think I might have invented clickbait. I think Just you might saying. have. <laughs> so there was this, the one thing I need to say about that book was it had the guy, did anyone, this is going back years, but did anyone play the mini golf game by Electrotech? It was a flash game that was absolutely massive. If you never played it and it's still on the internet, you should go and play it because it's like the most addictive mini golf game. And the guy who wrote that wrote a chapter in the book and he was like a celebrity then. And I was like, oh my God. It was like the equivalent of Bruce Willis. In the, <laughs> <laughs> the greatest American celebrity of all time, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the go-to American celebrity now. <laughs> anyway, so on to Ant's bio. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking up the mini golf game now. Uh, you just, just like trying to... Yeah, oh man, there's a pony in this one. I can tell you what it was. It was electro tank mini golf. If people have been around on the internet for over sixteen years, they'll know what that game is. Nick, as, as your mum, as your mum played that as one of our regular <laughs> listeners, probably. Yeah, no, I've definitely played the game. That's awesome that you got to meet that person. Like I'm now envious. So onto Ant's bio. Now Anthony is your name. It is, and yet we go. You just go by Ant, which. It's cool. But you're not an I, aunt. I know. Or an uncle. It's crazy. So this is going well. You know what? We should have just done this. I should have just started drinking before. So anyway, wait, what? What am I saying? So Ant's an architect and engineer at SitePen. And he's been working on large-scale SaaS apps for the last six years. Some stuff in here. You're a technical lead working on something called Dojo 2, and you like TypeScript and progressive web. Uh, yeah, I get it. You like uh, the web. Yada, 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 yada. He, yada. He, likes, he likes long walks on the beach as well. Yes, he does. Ooh, big fan. Big I do. I like short walks on the beach because walking's hard. Unless we're going to get a drink, and then I'll, I'll make the track if I need to. Yeah, so welcome, guys. So today we're going to have a very, very focused, coherent discussion on Dojo 2, which you guys are like the lead architects. Is there like a thing? There's no labels. It doesn't matter. You're no, gonna, we, we, you're gonna we just work on a mini it. golf game in it. Work on it. <laughs> just do some stuff with it. Yeah, they're pretty uh, instrumental in, in getting it this far, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> this is my great. I, I even planned on this, and I, I really, I really sat there and and I read and I thought about things and just didn't do the transitions very well this time. I'm a little out of practice, guys. I'm sorry. Well, let's step back and and explain what's happening. Back in what May was <laughs> it April do. or May? Dojo version two was finally released, and so we're going to dive into that a little bit. But we're also going to talk about. A little bit of the history of Dojo, and it's really cool having Tori on this because you were really around for all of that. So, do you want to give us a little bit of history of of what Dojo is and where it came from? And yeah, I just realized I was having like a midlife crisis when <laughs> Matt brings up this sixteen year old game that I was like, oh yeah, I remember that, and he brings up Director and all those things. But yeah, like looking at the calendar, you know, one thing that actually was interesting is recently I was at a conference or a talk or I, I was somewhere. And they were bringing up kind of like someone's going over some history of some, you know, some of this uh, JavaScript to browser technologies and stuff. And I kind of looked around the room and like I was just sitting there like, why are we talking about this? Like everyone knows this. And then I looked around the room and was like, 
Oh, no, actually, I would bet that most people here do not know these things anymore because they weren't there. And it just kind of gets lost to history. So it's kind of interesting to think about what it was like when the Dojo Toolkit was started and kind of how that got going and where it is now and what we're doing now. But I guess to really look at what it was back then, you had a really terrible browser called IE5, which to be fair, was not in and of itself terrible. It just became terrible when we wanted to do more stuff with it. And then we also had Netscape and the very early beginnings of Firefox, which was called Phoenix. And then they got some kind of cease and desist and had to change it to, I think, like Firebird. They got another cease and desist from the Firebird database project, if I remember correctly. And now they then they went with Firefox. So, And of course, Safari didn't exist. There was Conqueror with a K from KDE, which I think Safari used the underlying KHTML renderer from that to build Safari initially. But everything had their own different ways of doing things. So every single browser had its own kind of JavaScript, but it wasn't really a standard. I mean, there was a standard, but people, they implemented it in their own ways and then they created their own new stuff on top of it. And because IE had like 95% of the market share, then Netscape and Firefox would copy it and they would do it differently. So the implementations would be slightly off, the way that they calculated padding and margins and how you even interacted with the DOM. Like Netscape had layers versus, they just had all these different things, right? So it was definitely a different time. And without GitHub, NPM, or even like a massive open source community, really web apps weren't really a thing at all. If you wanted to build something, you used Flash, which I heard there's a really great book with a PHP and advanced PHP in Flash was a good one. <laughs> yeah, they were the best. They were the best. I think those are the best books. And Or you went page by page with JSPs that passed data back and forth. Or every now and again, you got a Java applet, which I seem to recall basically just meaning that your browser was going to hang for a long time and crash. I don't think I ever remember one working, but they existed. Do you guys ever have anything in Java applets that just seemed to work? <laughs> I had no. games that I'd play in high school, and they somehow got through the high school's filter, and I was able to play them. So that was great. Nice. I think the uh, original so... the original version of RuneScape was a Java applet. I think that was good. Did you ever play RuneScape? I didn't. That was play an that. RPG. I... No, oh, guys, it's almost like you didn't exist on the old internet. <laughs> well, so I, 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 I only play sports games, and I really just don't care for most other forms of gaming. So, yeah, it was like I didn't exist. I think you're just showing your age, Matt. <laughs> Matt's Wait, like, you I, guys never whittled? I you never whittled? <laughs> I thought I was the youngest person on this talk. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. Oh, man. So it was possible to create apps with JavaScript, and that's one of the things that a lot of people at the time were doing. And there's you know some mailing list, DHTML mailing list, and other other things there. People were talking about this stuff and complaining and talking about how to how to get around bugs and get around problems. But it also meant that when you were going to build a web application, if you were going to build something that we would recognize today as like a, an interactive web application using JavaScript, that you spent most of your time smoothing out all of the idiosyncrasies of each browser. When you tried to do one thing in one browser, you had to do a different one in another. So you had to write a whole lot of code, boilerplate, just to intercept the click event to then properly respond to it based on the browser it was in. So it was a lot of hacking, a lot of craziness just to get something to do the most just minimally simple thing. So there were a couple toolkits at the time that were around, like Prototype and I think a couple others. But there were also some commercial ones because... 
it seemed like the idea of open source toolkits didn't really exist. It was like you could pay and you could have this one that some company would sell you a license for. So Dojo was like kind of one of the first open source ones. It was also very large in scope because a lot of the early ones, they really focused on some very small feature set of things. And then Dojo's goal was to not just look at things and try to smooth out all the problems so you could build stuff, but also to provide you with the infrastructure to build things. So a widget infrastructure with kind of desktop class widgets so that you didn't have to, every time you wanted a grid or a split pane or a date picker, you didn't have to kind of create your own. You know, they were It was provided for you and you could drop it in and use it. It was just something that really... It didn't exist on that scale, and especially open source, it definitely didn't exist on that scale. So lots, anyway, lots of lots of time went into that. And over the years, as the browsers got better, you know, we were able to do more and more things with it and provide more features, so that you could really create really great web applications really easily for the time <laughs> in the browser. Although I will say, it's really funny that jQuery got really huge because like you really just had to drop in a script file and then you just did, you know, dollar sign whatever to query things and then chain it all together. And one of the big pushbacks on Dojo was that there was this whole build system. There was like you had to use a build tool and you had to like get into the command line and and configure things and then, you know, have a configuration file that then, you know, ran this build tool. And now that is just like the standard way to develop. But that was the huge pushback at the time was the build tools and the non-semantic markup. <laughs> oh, semantic markup. <laughs> yep. It doesn't validate. Yeah, cool. Because the machine that's reading it, does it care that you have a... So before data dash, whatever, we had like DJ da or D, you know, whatever. We had our own attributes that people did not like. The fact that we were polluting the DOM. <laughs> So things that really mattered. So that's kind of, Matt, you did, you worked on Dojo stuff back then, I think. I don't know. Is there anything you wanted to chime in on that I kind of just rambled over there? Yeah, I mean, it was like, so I think when I started using Dojo 1 was back in 2008. So I think it was fairly mature in that point. But still the things it was doing, like you say at the time, I think like Prototype, Scriptaculous, jQuery, UE, and Sensure was around. And to be honest with you, Dojo was kind of like in my first company, I had to evaluate, you know, a JavaScript framework or library that we could use. Like it was kind of that era between like 2005 and 2008 was kind of where, you know, you could definitely start making real web applications over just like kind of the DHTML like phase before it. And Dojo was kind of like doing so many advanced things then that we kind of take for granted today or in some cases still haven't even got there in terms of browser standards, whether it be like module loading, like optimizing the code you deliver to the browser, which, you know, has, has become massive over the last two years. But like Dojo's had that for, you know, best part of 10. You know, it had a, there was a lot of things in inside Dojo. I think um, it, it really was one of the, but not the only one, but one of kind of the pioneers of kind of that original, hey, you can actually build something serious out of this. And that was what was impressive. That was the reason why, you know, I used it from an early point. Yeah, like Require.js came out of the dojo, the work that was done in dojo early on. Yeah, there's just like a lot of things that we do take for granted. Absolutely. That like was a big thing. I think there were bigger concepts at the time than than maybe. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't easy to boil this all down into like 
advanced PHP with Dojo book or something. It was, there's a lot going on. <laughs> I'm never going to live this joke down, am I? Um, You're really like, not. <laughs> but like, yeah, I think that's true. Is like a lot of those kind of big concepts that Dojo kind of played with at that period that, you know, in some cases might not have absolutely transferred to a browser feature, at least them concepts have. So, you know, like some of like the async primitives now, like the promises and that, all that kind of thing was, you know, experimented as, you know, Dojo kind of was at the forefront of, uh, like even like the offline stuff. I remember like in Dojo X, like they, like you, Google Gears was around then and um, Dojo X had a offline implementation. Like people forget like, you know, we're at service workers now, which is like kind of, you know, the end goal of how we, you know, we can deal with like offline applications. Like before that there was, people remember app cache and how bad that was. But before that there was, you know, things out there like Google Gears. So the, a lot of these kind of things now, like we're being experimented with 10 years ago. And that I think kind of shows, hey, how slowly the web platforms moved in that time. And like only recently kind of people coming into web development now kind of have a very different perspective on what's happened along that journey. Like you said, is you could be sat in a room and there hasn't been people who have been, you know, developing web applications for 10 years. And what they see today, it's a very quick, it's more moving than ever, right? The, the web platform's, probably the quickest it ever has been. So that's kind of really a, a really big change of back then where you were on, you know, IE5, IE6, where, you know, that just didn't happen. You know, waiting for a new version of Internet Explorer was like a year's thing. So the whole landscape's changed since then times. Yeah, and I think it's important to kind of show or calling out that between like 1999 and I think 2009, JavaScript only had one version bump, and that was from ES3 to ES5. And then from 2009 to 2015, that was another six years where we didn't have anything. And then we got ES6. And now we're getting it yearly. So things have really taken off. And the web platform is really completely transforming itself, not just in new features being added to it, but in the way that they manage it from a, a standards level. Yeah, and you don't have to update your browser. That was, I think that's another <laughs> yeah. really big point that I think gets completely overlooked. And I know I remember when Chrome first came out with the auto updating and people were losing their minds because they're like, hey, that's my browser. I installed it. You know, you don't get to determine for me when I, you know, if you break something then I'm, you know, you're messing me up and all that. Right. But now that's just the expected behavior. It's like it just updates itself. Like you don't, it doesn't matter. Like you just open up your browser and it just, it's up to date. But we used to actually have to wait because, oh, well, I want to ship this feature, but like, you know, when now you can go to like, can I use, right? And you can see, you know, with a certain API, like how does it work across all the different browsers? But also like you could look at the trends and say, well, you know, who's still using IE5? Who's still using IE6? Who, you know, and we'd have to wait until it reached a threshold. And now it's pretty much like, eh, well, it's like 6% of those, eh, whatever. Like you don't, you know, like a lot, I mean, people do still have to care, but how fast you can iterate through. I mean, we would go a decade where we're still supporting IE6, you know, when it was, well past time for that to be dead, but we would still be supporting it, you know, for 10 years. It was now it's like you might wait a year and then you can drop the last version or whatever. I liked going back and looking at my tweets from way back then. And I had like four or five tweets in a row where I was so excited for Firefox 3 to be coming out. And like this was a week in advance. Now we're on like what Firefox 68 or something and you don't even notice. That brings us to modern times. And then there was a kind of a big inflection point where there's kind of a point where we we reached with Dojo where it was clear that there was a lot of 
things that we're still doing and supporting that in Dojo One that, okay, you know, like we really need to kind of rethink what Dojo is. And we started talking about Dojo Two in this kind of interim period where the browsers had become more modernized. The features were, were there. We're shipping new versions of JavaScript a little more regularly now. And TypeScript had just come out. Like I think the very first version had just come out. So there's a kind of so a lot of upheaval around the tooling at the time as well. Now we're looking at it and, and you could say, well, gosh, you know, Dojo One was, you know, forever and then it took you how long to get out Dojo Two. But really, maybe we can talk to that a little bit about kind of the evolution of Dojo Two from the point of I mean, maybe five years ago when we started talking about it to like when Matt and Ant, you guys started kind of working on it and how many times we kind of went back to the drawing board and rethought things because maybe how fast things changed or, or maybe new ideas or new concepts had come out. The landscape is complete. I think when, like, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that like when we were thinking about Dojo 2, I think the web is always in a transitional phase, but I think it was in probably more of one of the bigger transitional phases ever. Like, you know, like you said, things like TypeScript and Flow were coming out, um, you know, we had, you know, Angular had actually been and gone really at that point, and they were talking about Angular too. React was just about around at that point, and um, I feel like a lot of the tooling parts have changed. Obviously, with ES5 and and the ES6 at that point, or what became ES2015, a lot of things had changed in the landscape in terms of how we approached Dojo Two. It was kind of more of well, you know, what parts did Dojo One solve? that we no longer need to solve, what parts of Dojo One do we think didn't quite work for people building things? And, and can we do that? Is that possible today with you know, you know, the native platform? Or is that something we'd want to fill a gap with? I think that it was more about, Dojo Two is more about the things that Dojo One didn't do, because a lot of the things that Dojo One did do are now actually there in the browser, which is a great thing, obviously. Does that kind of answer answer the question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. You want to try to, you know, I think that definitely with Dojo because it was Dojo One was to kind of smooth over all the potholes and fill gaps. That you definitely want to be in a position. You hope to be in a position where your tool is no longer necessary because the gaps get filled, right? Like they're they're already filled by the browsers. So you know that's absolutely you know when you look at it and you go well. Do we need to do a query selector? We need to do these things. Well, it's you know in the browser, whereas before that didn't exist. You know, so you can drop a lot of that baggage and a lot of the code splitting and all the different stuff for all the old browsers. Then you're left with this. Well, what should it look like today to build something? You know, like instead of just rewriting Dojo One in TypeScript and calling it Dojo Two, you know, instead of just modernizing it but keeping all the APIs the same, like. Well, what does it look like today to build an app, you know, and where can we draw inspiration from other things? So I guess going down that road, what were some of the kind of major pieces that you took and said, you know, whether it's from Dojo One or from the landscape today and said, this is what's going to make it easier to build apps using Dojo, you know, Dojo 2? Yeah, I mean, I think one of obviously the massive ones, which is is really being a very successful for project for Microsoft is TypeScript. Like, if you go back a couple of years, I remember when I went to a talk at uh, London JS uh, from 
as someone on TypeScript. There were so many people sat in the crowd who were just like, why would I ever want to write typings and have, or have a type-safe language in JavaScript? And I think at the time, people were very skeptical. But I think now, I think people realizing the power you can gain from that, that, that kind of type. Like, you know, if you're working in a, in a big company, you know, on a big project, that kind of discovery you get from, you know, a, a TypeScript project is incredible. And people are going to be kind of shocked by the comparison, but that's why people use Java, because things like the typing in Java enables, you know, IDEs to be very smart about the things that you do. It's almost boilerplate. You know, you can almost, you, you have assisted code writing effectively. And that's so powerful for small teams, big teams, big projects. It's such a powerful thing. And the productivity gains you get from that, it's just massive. It really, you know, I was as skeptical as anyone because I didn't know any TypeScripts until I joined SitePen. I was unsure of it at first, but once you've used it for any reasonable amount of time, it's almost impossible to go back. It really is. So that was obviously a giant thing. That was really one of the big things that I think we were, you know, we're a TypeScript first framework. That was, we all, Doja 2 was always designed from the outset with TypeScript in mind. So whether that's so the ergonomics of it are designed towards typing so that means that you know when we think about designing an api we take that into account to give you the best inference at the end result now you know there's lots of frameworks and libraries out there that have supplemental typescript support and that's kind of a different kettle of fish that like you can't quite get the same things out of or you can but it takes a lot of effort so i think being typescript first is obviously a big feature or a big goal of Dojo. The second one is, I think, is kind of the application focus. I think there's so many people making web apps out there, and that's not necessarily a single page app, but like, you know, even on a, on a website, websites have become a lot more complicated. They're doing a lot more. One thing in Dojo, one that there was just never really any concept of how to put together an application. Yeah, we had a great like component authoring framework, it had build tools. It had all those things to put together. But you had to be a really smart person to put an application together with Dojo. Well, I, you know, I've seen so many applications where they differ so much, and you can really hang yourself, you know, based on those things. So, like Dojo Two, kind of really wants to approach from that absolute like macro level at the top of, hey, I want to build this, you know, feature-rich, well-performing application in the browser, and I want the guidance to be able to do that. So I think that's really the, the next big thing. And kind of the third thing, which is really important to Dojo 2, is that we kind of stay as close to the web platform as we can and embrace new features. Because like, I think at the end of kind of Dojo 1, Dojo 1 introduced a lot of kind of new concepts, but obviously it had to maintain all those. And one thing that we really like with Dojo 2 is the closer we stay to the web platform and embrace those things, then it's not something we have to maintain or you have to deal with as kind of like a proprietary thing. You know, the more open we are and the more things we integrate with on the web platform, then that's the better thing going forward. So that's kind of like the three big things is TypeScript, large-scale web applications, and how we help you put that together. And the third is staying kind of as close to the web platform as we can to give you them kind of features. So I think that's kind of like it. Nice. So yeah, for like framing that in another way, that's kind of highlights what Dojo's main focus areas are, and that's developer ergonomics with TypeScript and being a bit opinionated. 
being able to easily write an application with it. So also kind of part of that developer ergonomics and then following closely to standards so that we can, you don't have to learn much more beyond JavaScript slash TypeScript to, to really take advantage of Dojo. What else would you say, or how else would you say that Dojo 2 can compare to like other frameworks like React or, or Angular? Yeah, I mean, I think like obviously the comparisons with React or, you know, any kind of JSX, you know, style library, obviously there's lots of kind of virtual DOM implementations out there that use JSX, which, you know, is kind of an ergonomic choice. We're always going to get compared to those, but we're kind of a much higher level than that. And we, you know, we're in this a similar realm as Angular is, but kind of down a different path. Like Angular really, you know, Angular, we kind of use TypeScript like stock. Angular has a lot of extra things on top of it. And some of those things, you know, are really nice. I'm a really big fan of Angular. But we kind of have taken a more, a smaller approach than that. Like, it really is a big monolith, Angular. We're somewhere in between kind of React and Angular and Nemflex. On top of kind of the React stuff is the thing I hear all the time about people using microlibs. And microlibs are obviously are very popular. And, and they're popular for good reasons of of that like honest intention of starting with something is, hey, I don't want to use more than I need, right? And I don't need this big bloated framework. But for a lot of people out there, it's important for them to build an application and not spend you know, days and weeks making hundreds of technical decisions on what you know, those hundreds of micro libraries are to build an application. And that's kind of where we think you know, having an opinion is, is good for that ecosystem in terms of internationalization. Okay, if you write in a Dojo 2 app, you have one consistent way of how you do internationalization in it. And if you use you know, the Dojo 2 widgets, then you get that same pattern as well. It's the same with the theming. If you know, all our widgets are themable and use a consistent system for theming, and in your app, use that consistent theming, which is, is really tough to do when you've got like 30 different micro libraries on, or, and different component toolkits to kind of bring that all together consistently. So I think it's like a layer of cohesion on top of a library without being too monolithic. I think that's where we kind of picture ourselves. Yeah, and I think the platform really helps with with that as well. Like we can provide all of that. I feel like Dojo One did provide a lot of things, but it was really its own ecosystem where it was kind of difficult, especially in the pre-AMD days, to maybe integrate with other things. Like you couldn't just bring in another JavaScript library and use it. I mean, you could, but it's a lot of code. But with today's ecosystem and like having a standard module system and you know, a standard way of it, loading modules with like npm, I think that we can prescribe things, but also kind of help you if you if you want to mix and match. Like if you wanted to bring in Redux and use that in Dojo, like it's pretty simple to do that, right? Yeah. So again, it's like another thing I missed was kind of the web has moved on from the days, like you said, is you know Dojo one was kind of one of the first toolkits to really have a module system. At that point, we were, you know, it was in, inject a script into the page and, and deal with some globals. I think the ecosystem's a lot better now, you know, obviously in terms of actually managing dependencies, things like NPM and, you know, Yarn and things have, have really changed that. The ecosystem is now, should be a case of, hey, I can mix and match these things. And like the interoperability between frameworks is becoming like increasingly important. I think that's kind of where the web platform's going and the whole idea behind web components or custom elements more specifically, that's kind of encompasses, right? Is if I want to use a Dojo 2 widget, I can. If I want to use a Dojo 2 widget in React, I can. You know, it shouldn't be a case of 
if you use this framework, that's all you can use. And I think that's another thing that is important to Dojo too, is that we don't lock you in. It's not about locking you into our ecosystem. We want to tap into the larger ecosystem and we want to share our stuff in the ecosystem too. Yeah, we really missed out on the idea of blocking people in and then the microtransaction revolution going on because really <laughs> we could have had, you know, like, oh, you want to style, you want to be able to style your widget? Oh, just like 99 cents, you know, or spin the wheel and we'll let you possibly uh, have a web component. <laughs> Dojo 2 loot boxes, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, Dojo 2 loot, loot box, box. exactly. <laughs> Why have we come up with this? Ugh. So who would you say Dojo 2 was built for? You know, like what what need does Dojo 2 fill that maybe other tools aren't filling at the moment or aren't filling the way that we, we see them wanting to be filled, like with the loot boxes and the the hidden cryptocurrency miner we put in it and all that stuff. Okay, so I mean, I think Matt kind of covered on some some of the kind of advantages or the uh, the the points that Dojo 2 kind of wants to cover and it's to it's to provide kind of a cohesive kind of experience something where when you pick up a kind of a, a technology that you don't have to go and effectively uh, you know do your due diligence across like multiple different options you know the opinionated focus there's also uh, Dojo has always been kind of labeled as the enterprise framework um with that it's kind of like we've kind of carried that mantle on in dojo 2 kind of providing as we've already mentioned kind of built-in internationalization with all of our widgets you know accessibility is a top focus and with kind of the build tooling it's designed to effectively kind of reduce the like the the barrier of entry for kind of developers to kind of get going and get up to speed and be productive, you know, uh, and build like real applications that, you know, we wouldn't actually need to do, uh, that companies need to build. And with, you know, other frameworks, that's sometimes a more complicated job when you have to have opinions, you have to have people making decisions. And I think Dojo is kind of trying to fill that middle ground. So like be usable by big companies who have big development teams. Obviously the TypeScript is is a big plus there as well, as we've mentioned. But we also like I think we we can be appealing to kind of like, you know, the the everyday kind of hobbyist in keeping up with the modern kind of web APIs and providing kind of like really slick kind of support for concepts like you know progressive web applications compilation to like a custom element so that you know we can which is also a great a great thing for for enterprise so that you know one team can use dojo 2 and build a like a, a an awesome widget and then just export that and then other teams who might not have picked dojo 2 as a technology choice they can then just leverage that widget as a, as a custom element and it just I think that's kind of a really big deal in companies uh, like where they don't want to basically keep rewriting the same thing. I don't know whether I actually answered the question, but I think that's kind of the focus that kind of we're going for. Yeah, like, so if you're in a company and you're looking to build a new web application, like what kind of, if you were looking at Dojo 2, if you had Angular or, Re- or React experience, what would you say is like how well those skills or you know that knowledge translates? Like, could you get up and be productive quickly with Dojo 2, or is it very different? The goal is that, well, one of my goals is that anybody can can get up and be productive with Dojo 2 with, 
you know, just some TypeScript experience and some basic JavaScript experience. Obviously, there are some familiarities in kind of the ergonomics with React. So I think that, that a transition of someone who has had experience like working with React and building com- like components with React and building applications with React would, should transfer pretty easily. Angular obviously is is a different beast, and there's not the, there's there's no there's no familiarities, but the, their approach is slightly different as as we've kind of said before. But it doesn't mean to say that someone who is just you know a, you know a good engineer who is working for a company can't actually pick up Dojo two, you know, with with little kind of learning, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I am not the most technical person at our company, and I was able to follow along with a couple of tutorials and get up and running and you know modify a few things and make a few things, and it wasn't. You know, I don't have the experience of, you know, even doing anything in React or Angular, but it was pretty easy to just get up and going. I mean, definitely the ergonomics are much better than in most things than it used to be, obviously. You know, I did stuff in Dojo One, I, you know, did styles, I did, I made a few little widgets here and there, but this, you know, doing it in Dojo Two, get up and running was super fast. I mean, there was times in Dojo One where I would spend the day trying to get something building correctly because of all the things you had to install to get it to work and all the configurations and kind of just this magic that was going on. And, you know, that was more of a product of the time. But I mean, it couldn't be easier now with with things like NPM and, and, you know, just the way the tooling is that it's just so easy to get up and running. It's kind of bootstrapped for you. You know, you run a command, a dojo create, and, you know, it'll give you you know, a little boilerplate of something and you're off to the races already. Um, I thought that was a really earth shattering thing and that no one's done, but it, it definitely, it's good to be able just to get up and running quickly instead of, you know, because that, that's kind of the barrier to entry, right? If I, if I want to start using something, I want to kind of start using it quickly and I want to have success yeah. quickly. And that's always a difficult thing when you have a large tool chain and all these things to be able to demonstrate very quickly, this is how you do it. It's really quick. Yeah, I mean, what with JavaScript, with, with a kind of JavaScript fatigue at the moment, and and as you said, like large complex kind of config, like tooling configuration that's required to like kind of optimize your build to what you need for a production application, and also kind of support kind of the development workflow at the same time. These things can take a long time if like you have to do it from scratch every time, and that is where kind of the CLI, the tooling comes, like the Dojo CLI, and the tooling comes into it. As you said, you know, you, 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 there's one command that will will bootstrap and create you a skeleton app that that you can get, you can start hacking on, or you know, it could start your project at, in at work or what have you. But you know, it's again like taking the complexities away from the user and obfuscating them from these things allows us to kind of do lots of kind of clever things within the build tooling itself because it doesn't like the the consumer doesn't have to worry about it, and we give them a nice kind of ergonomic configuration like api or you know command line api for them to be able to kind of just pick and choose what they want to leverage out of the cli options yeah that's a really nice tool and a really big change from like dojo one and it it seems to be a a pattern that all frameworks are going towards is more advanced tooling to make the jobs of the developers easier making it easier to get up and get going with the application and dojo is no different it's really easy to you know, in just an npm install, pretty much get things going and get an app up and running with a, a a simple widget. Changing gears a little bit, so Dojo was released in May, and can you guys talk a little bit about what the focus has been since Dojo's release and where things are going? Sure. I mean, obviously, 
it was the first kind of release, a long time waited for release of Dojo 2. And over the last kind of couple of months, the main focus has been on kind of like interacting with kind of our new community that's kind of building at the moment, kind of making sure we're engaged and and focused on fixing problems that are identified by kind of our like initial users. Obviously, for kind of the longer term, we have some we we have ideas of where we want to take the the framework. But for the last you know a couple of months, it's it's been pretty much focused on kind of fine tuning the 2.0 release, responding to kind of consumer requests or like you know issues on GitHub and and kind of fixing any small problems that people have found. Cool. And from that, how would you say the community response has been? I think it's been uh, you know surprisingly good for me. I mean, we obviously we we are obviously on GitHub, so we we've got kind of a repo for all our packages. We've got repos for all our packages on on GitHub, so we do often get kind of like out the blue issues. But the the, the big win for kind of for me is Gitter, because um, you know we've it's it's a small but it's quite an active community that we've got right now. So and it's quite engaging. It's really uh, pleasant to see kind of not just kind of the contributors like myself and Matt and, and others on the on the contributing team, but other kind of Dojo users kind of like helping them each other out um, in there and kind of working through problems. It's been quite, you know, it's been really nice to see that. Um, and I hope it, you know, it keeps going. And we've actually kind of, through conversations on Git to kind of identify, you know, bugs that we've, we've then gone kind of fixed for our consumers. Another kind of big win it's not really on a contributing side but it, i think it helps kind of the community is is getting the dojo 2 template on code sandbox um for me was you know it's awesome it makes everything everything easier in kind of where you're, you're in development if you want to just kind of proof concept something or hack something as a as a like a maintainer or as a contributor but also it really helps for like when uh, can, like for demonstrating how to do things to to our users and also inversely when users kind of say hey i've got a problem and and, and the, the big thing is is trying to get like a you know so, like an understanding of what their problem is, is is they have the opportunity to be able to just kind of like give us an exact like re- reproduction of their issue and it really i think that was one of the and that kind of came along at about the same time as the release and, and that was awesome to, to actually to have yeah props to whoever got that running i don't know who did it i really don't i don't either hey, nick, do you know who did it <laughs> nick do you know who did it i worked on that there was a lot of fun hey. <laughs> i think one thing like we've we've realized from from some of the Gitter conversations is I think kind of the expectation on some users to know like reactive programming is kind of a real thing that I think libraries like React and even Dojo 2 have to solve better. I think in terms of the future for Dojo 2 is there's so many people now, the, the web's more accessible than ever for, for engineers and the barrier for entry still is, is still quite high. So it's something that I think is really eye-opening that you get we've got a lot of different users of, of varying standards and what they use those things for. And understanding those use cases has really helped us on Gitter. Like the more feedback we get, the better we can tailor those developer ergonomics. Because, you know, for me, is obviously we use Dojo 2 as a framework and that's always great, right? You should always use the framework as proof in the pudding almost. Like, you know, if we can't use it, then no one else is going to be capable of using it. But we've got to remember that framework offers are not necessarily the levels of some people trying to just get things done. And I think that's that's what some frameworks and libraries always forget is it's not necessarily about how pretty the code is. A lot of people are, are writing code to get things done. At the end of the day, is 
you know, that's the end goal for users. I want to get an application. I don't want to spend, you know, a year having to optimize it, right? I, d I don't want to have to worry about those things. I want to deliver the features for my product or whatever. And so removing that, you know, lowering that barrier for entry is extremely important for us. And I think kind of like the CLI tooling is just a start, right? They've got a long way to go. You know, we don't just want to bootstrap your app. We want to help you bootstrap every part of your app as you go along. It's not a thing that just happens at the beginning. We want you to come back to the CLI and try and help you piece these bits together without you really having to do much. We want to kind of have people think less about how do I do this or how, you know, what pattern do I use by either better documentation or just making that pattern kind of explicitly part of the framework. You know, that's one of the advantages we've got over not being just a library. You know, we can have more opinion across all the things and that will hopefully enable us to give a better experience to the engineer writing it and ultimately the, the experience to the end user using it. So, yeah, that's kind of been one of the really interesting things from since we've released, getting that feedback on Gitter and, and GitHub. Yeah, and and I can say from you know digging into the code to the actual Dojo Two code, playing with it there and getting to understand it, and then going and working on a project that actually uses it gave me a ton of insights into how it can be used, just how nice it is, and and it like overall the project I just got finished on that was a Dojo Two project was just was just a joy to use. So I hope I'm not being too biased. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for anyone wondering, like. I can definitely hear, you know, there's there's kind of this thought, uh, especially nowadays, is like, oh, this hot new thing, but is anyone using this in production? Is anyone actually using this? Um, is it okay to use it? Is it safe to use it? Especially if you're going to build something, you know, that needs you need to maintain. Well, we are building large apps right now using Dojo too. Like it's not, and that's not just because, oh, well, of course you are, you have to, but it's like it it is the best choice for our situations. And, you know, it's definitely can and is being used for large production apps right now. Yeah, definitely. I have one more question before we run out of time here. And in your recommendations, how can someone get started with Dojo 2 or get started with contributing to Dojo 2? Is there a good place to start for that? It's a real great question because one of our main goals with the community is to kind of get more involvement from the community, but not just in kind of not in raising issues, but like contributing ideas and contributing fixes for bugs when they get identified. And I think that will hopefully we can encourage that. Obviously, it's, there's the main way would be to kind of go on to GitHub. We have labels on all our issues to kind of say it would be a, a great first issue for kind of a new contributor. Equally, Another great place to start if you just want to get in and kind of like like make sure that you're focusing on an area that you know is 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 something that we still need doing is is Gitter again is like you know reach out to us on Gitter and ask and and effectively say you know this is how this is how to get involved and right and if you ask say this is what I want to do and we, and then and then we can engage with you and hopefully encourage you to kind of get more involved on the on the contribution side. And if you're wondering where all these links are, they're at dojo.io. I was going to say that. I was going to say that, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, people are probably like, cool, I'll just, I'll just go get her. That's okay, cool. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, I have, we have said that a lot. That's a, that's a fair point. Um, it's the assumption that people know, and that's it's one of the things actually we need to try and make sure that we don't do as a framework as well. Well, that is all the time that we have today because arbitrarily our podcast is about an hour, even though there is no 
other show coming on to kick us out of the studio. But I guess that's just how things work still. So <laughs> we're going to wrap it up here. So you can, again, dojo.io to get more info on Dojo. And you can tweet us for the podcast at, what's our Twitter? TalkScript. Oh, at TalkScript. That's smart. We also have a website, TalkScript.fm, which is new, but it really just points you to the place where you can subscribe and see all the episodes and whatever. So if you, for some reason, are listening to this but aren't subscribed, I'm not sure why that would be the case, but you should subscribe. It should be, it's in iTunes and in whatever Google whatever they call it these days, the Play Store now. Is it the Play Store still? I don't know. It's it's like chat apps. They just keep renaming things. So unless there's another Google podcast directory I don't know about, that's the one. So thank you, Matt and Ant, for joining us. And thanks, Nick, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks very much.